Blog Talk Radio. The opinions and views expressed by the host and guest are not necessarily the views and opinions of the Blake Radio Network. Broadcasting, broadcasting, broadcasting to the world. Broadcasting to the world, to the world, to the world. BlakeRadio.com. Music for your mind, body, and soul. Talk radio at its best. You're listening to Rainbow Soul. BlakeRadio.com. Why, how, or wherever. But 
30,000 people every year are dying unnecessarily because they got antibiotics and because they did not get a fecal transplant. Okay, so you would think that uh, that's the end of the story, but it's not. There's more. So what they found then is they looked at this thing called the human microbiome, and they looked at various bacteria. And they found that there were about 130 different bacteria present in the microbiome of healthy people. So since these bacteria were present in a healthy person, it was determined, of course, that they must be, well, good bacteria. Of course, on this list is all the uh, organisms that the pharmaceutical industry has been developing antibiotics against. And so I thought, aha, the um, medical industry has been killing all of the uh, good guys, so to speak, leaving the bad guys uh, to have their way with the body and kill it. And so as I was thinking about this, uh, I checked my email and I got an emergency email, I won't say emergency, urgent email from the doctor feed saying, wait, wait, we find that there are good viruses. Many of the viruses we've been trying to kill are actually good viruses. And we have now found viruses that have the ability to heal the human body. I said, oh my God, it's worse than I thought. So in other words, when you take the feces from a healthy person and you put it into an unhealthy person and that unhealthy person becomes healthy, we really don't know what it is in the feces that makes them healthy. Is it the bacteria? Is it the viruses? Heaven forbid it might be the funguses. So it's really getting to be very interesting and exciting. So we've had uh, Doc Mike, our uh, expert actually in fecal transplant, actually in do-it-yourself fecal transplants, and Doc Mike is not really a doctor, but he's agreed to come uh, back on with us and talk to us about updates in uh, fecal transplants, especially the um, administration end and so on, especially reducing the X factor. And so, Doc, Mark, are you there? I'm right here, Doc. Thank you very much for that introduction. I don't know that I'm such an expert on fecal therapy. Um, I've trained many people on it. It's a very simple procedure. I do mostly homeopathics with it. Uh, I do 10, 20, and 30 power. And um, I've had people send their fecal matter to me here in Chicago. And I do the homeopathics on it and send it back in uh, five little bottles of approximately two ounces each and suggest that they take a capful of this homeopathic um, preparation at bedtime every night. And when the bottle gets about half empty, put some good water in there, uh, distilled water or even um, alcohol, some vodka, something like that to preserve the um homeopathic mixture and uh, like put them in line, number them and, and put number one at the other end and start using number four and then use number three and then number two and keep filling these bottles. These preparations can last for years. They have found homeopathics that were 2,000 years old in uh, some vases in Rome or Greece someplace and the, and the tinctures 
were still very, very powerful. So homeopathics is, for me, a very easy way to do it. I know that the fecal transplant thing is very quick, and um, uh, the, the healing is done. All the records are out there of what they're doing at the University of Chicago. And I want to thank you again, too, for having me on uh, your show a few months ago or a month or so ago. And uh, some of your listeners have called me because I think my phone number was out there in my websites and um, contacted me and, and want to bless you, too, for your radio shows because I'm currently on vacation from broadcasting with American Voice Radio right now because I'm traveling so much. Go ahead. So tell me, how, sorry, audience, how many years have you been working with fecal transplants? Because I've heard about from you long before uh, the medical field even mentioned it. Um, you know how time flies when you're having fun. Uh, some people say that they have listened to my radio broadcasts of the past and that uh, they would estimate it, it was about five to six years. I thought it was a little less than that, but, you know, it's out there on on the net. So it's been five or six years. Like, um, I'm guessing around uh, uh, 2010, maybe 2009, when I uh, first heard about it and started using it with my patients with tremendous success, contacting Dr. Shervansky at the University of Chicago, who completely ignored my pleas for information about this stuff. Uh, Dr. Stacy Kahn, who works with the uh, endocrinologists and uh, gastroenterologists in the uh, infants clinic where they're uh, saving babies that have been poisoned with uh, antibiotics, and Dr. Rubin, who was quoted in the Sun-Times here in Chicago, I call it the Slime Times and the Crime Times, okay, that fecal therapy was the ultimate probiotic. Go ahead. Now, the other thing, too, is that when babies are born, they pass through the birth canal, which is the mother's vagina, which is generally filled with quite an assortment of anti, uh, of live agents, you know, viruses, bacteria, all kinds of things. And further, when the mother, when the baby's head comes down, the baby actually um, compresses the mother's colon on the way out and produces a bowel movement in the mother, which actually precedes the baby on the way out. So when the baby's born, the baby's born in this pile ordinarily pile of feces, and he's already gone through a birth canal where he's inhaled all these organisms. Now, when you have a premature baby, the baby taken by C-section doesn't have this uh, experience. Now, in the past, it's been believed by doctors that this was an awful, awful, atrocious experience. However, um, you know, the healthiest babies actually um, weather it very nicely. Well, and you can see too that these, you know, how lazy these doctors are that they're doing all these C sections. Was it because of the fecal um, matter? Now, uh, uh, are you saying that there there would be a, a very rare occurrence for a mother to have a bowel movement with a C section? Well, the baby doesn't go through that end, and she has no pressure to. So they just cut right. the, ba- the stomach open and pull the baby out. Right. Abdominally. Right. So and the baby doesn't went, get through the vaginal canal to pick up those good bacteria. 
and doesn't right. come in contact at all with the mother species, which is totally normal to do. Just as an aside, when years ago, um, I'm going to guess uh, maybe 20, 30 years ago, most C-sections, first of all, were emergency, and secondly, they were done vertically from the belly button to the pubic bone, and then the baby was, was delivered. Now they've got what they call this bikini cut, where they cut right. horizontally from hip to hip right. through the vertical muscles in that area, okay? And this right. woman will never get in a bikini. You know, when those well, muscles no, are no, cut... no, no. So let me tell you how the, how that cut is made. That's not, uh, that's not the case. The external incision through the skin and fat is made horizontally. Okay. Then you have a vertical separation of the muscle, of the fascia and muscles. Then there's a horizontal incision made on the uterus itself. So the actual muscles are never cut. Well, how do they get the baby out? If you know you, your abdominal muscle uh, arrangement, the lower abs and the uh, six pack, are a series of horizontal and vertical muscles. And and I've they seen cut. End, yeah, they all end in the linea alba. The linea alba is wide, right down the center fascia. And they cut right down that center where there are absolutely no muscle fibers. Okay. And well, so there's no need to cut any of those muscle fibers to do a C-section. I see. I mean, to well, cut the I muscle fibers to a C-section yeah. is just, you know. I, I've had many, many women patients that have had a C-section, and, and, and they, they just have not been able to restore the integrity of their abdominal muscles. It's very unfortunate. Okay. Now I know there are some women that have a very small birth canal and there's just no way that this baby is coming out of there. Okay. So they have to go on a C-section, but I know that how lazy these doctors are that the percentage of C-sections to normal births now is like, uh, I don't know, I'm guessing uh, 50 to one. Everybody gets a C-section now. And there, and like you say, there's no fecal matter to bathe this youngster and start their immune system going, which has already started with their urine in the um, amniotic fluid. So, right, people don't realize that, that the amniotic fluid is the baby's urine, and the baby's literally drinking his urine uh, right. from his first swallow while he's inside of his mother. Right, and of course the Rockefellers and the AMA and anybody that talks uh, doctors, okay, are told basically that even though urine is completely sterile, okay, that it's not indicated for any type of health. And I tell you what, you know, you saw my $45,000 ozonator I have here in Chicago when you mm -hmm. visited here, okay? I never would have bought that, and I had two of those. I would never would have bought those knowing what I know now about urine therapy and fecal therapy. Our body is a pharmacy, a total pharmacy of Urine, bowel, tears, sweat. Make sure I understand what you're saying. So what you're saying is the power of urine and feces to heal is even more than that of a $45,000 ozonator. Absolutely. It's very, this thing is heavy, and there's an oxygen tank connected to it also, okay? So that you bring in oxygen, it goes through the coil, creates ozone, and then lasers it into the body, all right? This thing is heavy. I would guess it's uh, approaching maybe 30 to 40 pounds if you have the, the small oxygen tank that I have and the uh, unit 
of the um, the heads and the uh, the processor inside of it, the coil. It basically creates a lightning storm inside of the um, inside of the unit. The O2 changes to O3 and is lasered harmlessly into the into the patient. This thing weighs 40 pounds. Okay, if you urinate one pint of urine totally, okay, and let some people do, some people don't, okay, that pint weighs one pound. And for years, billions of people around the world, for centuries, for millennium, people have been flushing away their wellness with that urine. And similarly with the fecal matter now. As you probably know, um, a number of your listeners have sent their fecal samples to me, take them through a 30X or 30 power uh, homeopathic and send them back for a reasonable $25 and I pay the return postage. I want this in every household, just like 9-11 when Bush and Cheney blew up the towers, it took less than 24 hours to have this news in everyone's home in the world that was 7 billion people. If we can do something with this urine therapy and fecal therapy, I'll tell you what, the United States is going to be short 800,000 doctors very, very quickly and 1,500 pharmaceutical companies because this therapy is so tremendously valuable for every person. Now, the nice thing is the United States would be missing is it would be missing 880,000 uh, deaths or murders caused by medical intervention. Bingo. The number one or leading cause of death in the United States is doctors and doctor errors. Those would all go away. No, not doctor errors. Well, let's be honest here. Of the 800,000 <laughs> individuals dying as a result of medical intervention, yeah. about 10% at the most are due to mistakes. The rest are standard of care. The doctor did the right thing. Oh, that's what he thinks. Okay. No, no, no. I, this I is have, standard of care. Doctors have protocols to follow, and these doctors who kill the vast majority of patients were indeed following protocols. That's what I'm saying. That's what they think. Because the And you know how uh, fluid standard of care is. I don't think it's written. It's like the uh, code red in A Few Good Men with uh, Jack Nicholson and Tom Cruise. It's an unwritten law in the Marines that you don't rat on your... Uh, fellow soldiers, and you don't do this, and you don't do that, but it's not written down. But people know what that code is. No, no, the is. standard of care is it's changing. It is now written down. Many hospitals have protocols oh. in place. Oh, yeah, they written? have protocols in place that the pharmacy follows, that the doctors follow, that the nurses follow, and these are some very dangerous protocols. Now, have you ever seen them in writing, Doc? Or have you just heard oh, that? Oh, absolutely. I can tell Tom Tony because I worked in hospitals as a doctor. And I've come up against oh, I sure protocol. would like to get a copy of that. Is it any chance that you or me or a, a, a patient could get a copy of that standard of care? Or is that no, you know, not a uh, patient. in the vault? Do you know somebody in the pharmacy department? Um, any Anyone working in the pharmacy department? There's a huge, huge um, book of protocols developed by pharmacists meeting with drug company reps and hospital executives over the course of the year. And what's decided is which drugs will be substituted for which drugs. When the doctor writes for this, you give that. Now, that's shocking. Well, and that's when I, I want decided. A, I want a copy I of that because I also understand there's, in Illinois anyway, 
there is what they call the Red Book. It's for politicians and mostly politicians that are writing the statutes and so on as how to crush people like myself that have um, gone against, not gone against the system, gotten some common sense and started educating people as to what their doctor is doing to them. Go ahead. Well, what I'm trying to say is the standard of care is most certainly written down. Absolutely. It's written down in the uh, protocols and procedures in the pharmacy department. And these, like I said, are arrived at throughout the year with conferences between drug representatives, pharmacy personnel, um, hospital administration, and um, the doctor who is the um, chairman of the pharmacy committee. And, the, and it goes back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And what it comes down to is, as a result of these policies and decisions, which are written down, doctors receive certain education, you can call it propaganda, and certain policies are in place. When the doctor writes for this, we dispense that. And this goes right down the line for antibiotics, for blood pressure medicines, for diabetic medicines, for skin cream, you name it. And so uh, I found out about this because actually it's quite secret. Most doctors, I mean, you don't find out about it until you come up against it. I went to the hospital, admitted a patient, wrote orders, and I came in the next morning to find out not one drug I, re- I ordered was the patient on. Why? Because the Pharmacy and Therapeutics Committee, in conjunction with the hospital and the pharmaceutical companies, had decided that to maximize profit for all parties involved, these are the substitutions to be made. Wow. I'm not surprised. And that's what people are up against when they go to the hospital. And so what has the hospital done? In order to not have horrified, shocked doctors like me, they hire hospitalists who are on salary for the hospital, and these hospitalists conform to these standard of care protocols without having to be told. And therefore, there's never any conflict, and you can't say the hospital administration is practicing medicine because they've hired a doctor who's agreed to follow these protocols, which are in writing. And then there's another set of protocols. When a doctor signs a contract with an insurance company, that insurance company often has their protocols. And so, um, and then finally, the final rule book is held by journals like the Journal of the American Medical Association, New England Journal of Medicine, and various... um, specialty, medical specialty organizations, they put forth their protocol. And so if you are not following a protocol that is in writing from one of these empowered bodies, then as a doctor, you are outside of the standard of care. But it it is very easy to determine if a doctor is within the standard of care or not. Um, That's not something that's difficult to determine. When we get into the fecal therapy and urine therapy, okay, there is one standard of care, and that's wellness overnight. It's faster than the Marines on FedEx. And I'd like to have your um, latest um, testimonials that you've had, because I know you've put it out on your Internet. Uh, I'm working with this every day. I've got a couple of new cases I'd like to tell your listening audience about right here in Chicago. And uh, my new brain trust a couple of 29-year-olds, one from Sedona, Arizona, and another one from New York, who've had experiences with the medical system, are fed up with it. And 
both of them have used fecal therapy. So why don't you uh, uh, kick it off? If, if Are we up right up against a, a uh, commercial, or are we going straight through? Oh, no, this, uh, this particular one is, uh, show does not have commercials. Oh, wonderful. Okay. So right, if right, you'd right. like to, to run the first 50 yards with the ball, uh, if you have some uh, testimonials you'd like to give, that's fine. Uh, and I'm just waiting in the wings here for... Um, well, what I really want to do is I want to start at the start at the at the beginning here. In other words, what you mentioned, which I think is important, is that the standard of measure is improvement of the individual. So if the person is feels bad and no longer feels bad, but that is really the gold standard for measuring a therapy's effectiveness. Right. And I think true. if people use that as a standard then they're going to be doing a lot better. They're going to have a lot better um, outcomes. So the next thing is, how does a person decide that maybe they could use a little urine therapy or, or, or fecal therapy? Well, uh, sometimes it's a very easy sell um, because I've been, I've been doing urine therapy now for close to 15 years. Um, you've been doing turpentine therapy for how many years? Well, geez, 20 at least. 20, okay. So I'm just a babe in the woods here. Now, when I was in Ecuador, I went to a little computer shop, and I uh, changed the title of a book that you may have seen, which was called Underground Cures, The Most Urgent Health uh-huh. Secrets, and it talks about red deer antler and all different kinds of cures. And I had to make up a, make up a new cover for this book, okay? It's called Sudden Cures They Don't Want You to Know About. Number one, urine therapy. Number two, which yeah. I call quadrazone or fecal therapy. And number three, turpentine therapy. And there, we could do this in like these trilogies of three different therapies that are sudden cures and they don't want you to know about. And the researchers, Doc Mike Whitort and Jennifer Daniels, MD, MBA. So that's now, the new cover on this book. And I'm going to, we can put these together so simply. You know, the the Internet and the radio and so on is the new television, is the new uh, smoke signals, is the new drumbeat out there, the new tsunami. People like exactly. to listen Double to these things, have, right, have something very, very simple to do. And if they think it's not simple, um, after I got these three samples of fecal matter from Sedona, Arizona, a few days later, another unsolicited package came to me with some fecal matter in it and just had a return address. No phone number, no message, no nothing. Uh, it had the required donation in there. And I just, I made up the 30 power and put it back in the mail. And I found out that my uh, brain trust in Sedona, Arizona suggested that their friend in California do this fecal therapy routine. And he just put some in a bag, sent the required donation with it, and and I've already sent it back. So these these people are my salesmen, okay? And I I want to see that. Let's point out something here: that this person was so self-conscious that they didn't want their name, they didn't want any kind of <laughs> identification, they wanted total complete privacy. And so That's possible, this is, but this, well, I, I would rather say. No, I, I would think that um, 
they were just so excited about it that they didn't think about anything except putting the donation in there and the uh, no, 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 no. Um, so. and the fecal matter. So. Well, we're going to find out because I put a note back to the person. Please contact me. I need some more information uh, regarding your status there and, and why we're doing this and so on. And I find out that it's another 20-something-year-old that's very interested in his health and I'm, I'll let you know what happens one way or the other, okay? But I don't think, these are young people. They're out there. They want their 30-year-old the and their parents make, healthy. Pardon? Yeah, I want to make a point that these therapies are the ultimate in protecting your privacy because you can do this at home yourself. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it, it could, I you don't need to create an electronic medical record. Yeah. You don't need to create an electronic medical record. You don't have to go to the doctor and confess your religious affiliation or whatever else they want you to confess to these days. How about the number of guns in your house? <laughs> Loaded guns. number of guns in your house. Right. We, were at, we, we doctors were asked, were yep. told to ask people I how know. many guns they had in the house and where I they know. hid them. I said, well, I said, wait a minute, why am I asking where they hide guns? You know what they told me? Yeah. What? So we can see if it's a good enough hiding place that it'll keep it away from the children. I said, I'm going to oh. write my chart. If they have a gun, where they hide it? I said, I don't think so. That makes no sense to me. Well, back then, of course, I had no sophistication, so I didn't understand the importance of me putting in my chart if someone had guns and where they hid them. <laughs> It's just out of this world. And that's not the only questions they're asking. But that, you know, you talk about uh, HIPAA and invasion of privacy and everything. Uh, excuse me. But we're not going to need this. Right. Pardon? These natural therapies allow a person to bypass this physical invasion of their body and right. the invasion right. of their privacy. All right, right. So you got that. So what are the reasons someone might want to drink their own urine? There's a good question. The number one reason and they didn't call me when they found it in 2002 at Scripps Research in Southern California, okay, was that urine creates and generates ozone in the body, and the antibodies are responsible for this. They found the footprint. Up until this time, and I think you and I have gone over this, okay, cause, and I would like you to, uh, to uh, refresh your memory, or I apologize if I didn't tell you, okay? Up until the time they discovered this in 2002, they thought that an antigen that came into the body, let's say, um, oh, let's say you accidentally swallowed a little bit of gasoline, okay? That gasoline <laughs> yeah. created an antibody immediately. And because of its intrusion, the immune system kicked in and fought off any type of uh, uh condition that might result from this by either vomiting the gasoline out or creating diarrhea and exiting it through the toilet. Now, in 2002, they found out that if there are basically what I would call minor intrusions in the body, uh, like maybe a little bit of tainted food that you might eat, okay, there wasn't mm -hmm. enough to blast your uh, diarrhea into um, uh, action, okay, your entire digestive tract, okay, that these antibodies, which created ozone, actually took care of the condition and did not marshal 
the immune system, which is a very intricate system throughout the body and very, very powerful. Okay? So, and, you know, nobody purposely drinks gasoline. We do a little bit of turpentine, but it's very, it's very therapeutic. Um, <laughs> but I'm talking about things like aspartame, Splenda, uh, deep fried foods, you know, trans fats, uh, sugars, which are rampant out there, and high fructose corn syrup, okay? These things that we consume, uh, hopefully on a not too frequent basis, okay, will be handled by the ozone that's generated from urine therapy. And keep a, And you know what happens, I think, over time? Is this person gets very intelligent. And they say, you know what? I don't need those, those uh, triple cheeseburgers from McDonald's or this... Uh, uh, Wendy's, uh, some kind of burger, or America runs on Dunkin', you know, some donut holes or a, a jelly roll or uh, some other kind of uh, deep fried chicken. So what you're saying then is, so what you're saying is that urine, drinking your own urine actually neutralizes a lot of the common everyday poisons people encounter. Bingo. Absolutely. All right. Not. So that's the thing. It's on is, my website. It's a page on my website. I, it explains it. It's a little bit technical, but I'll tell you what. I got it on the first read because I had been working with Ed McCabe, and I had been taking urine therapy for so long. It, it's right there. You know, it's in our face. It's sort of like the uh, uncapped stone on the back of the dollar bill, and one world order, and all the owls and the and the omega that you know that they they're in our face they tell us and then they do it okay so like, so i'm just trying to understand how you know when it's time to drink urine so you're saying is really you can drink urine on a preventative basis oh totally that's the way i started okay, next question. i was very healthy when or i should say i was on my way to a very healthy state when i was introduced to urine by one of my patients who had been doing it for years you know, and I think I told you back in 65 when I was drugged up with Thorazine and Stelazine and Compazine and all these neuroleptics that uh, and there wasn't a, a bath or a, a toilet or a sink in the quiet room where they threw me uh, when I got out of, uh, out of hand. I urinated on the floor and I moved my bowels on the floor and they came in and cleaned it up every day. This is a psych ward. This is people were assigned to do these things. Okay. Well, I was thirsty. I urinated on the floor. I got down on all fours, and I drank. I just sucked that urine right off the terrazzo and drank it. That brought those drugs back into my body. I formed antibodies to them, and they couldn't figure out why it took them two months to knock me out with 1,500 milligrams of Thorazine a day. And I've got the other drugs that I was taking. i got a list right here. Let me just read this off to you. This is, this is a, so criminal. And, and there's many sailors, and I was in the Navy, that died from these drug overdoses. Dex, they're alphabetical. Dexedrine, Dalmane, Haldol, Thorazine, Stelazine, Compazine, Cogentin, Nodular, IV, Amatol, Artane, and Librium. And then when I was cycled off all of these drugs, there was 3, 6, 9, 10, 11 of those drugs, they put me on lithium carbonate. For 36 years, 1,200 milligrams a day. And I actually so now, started urine now we got, we established, well, What would be the dose of urine a person would take just as a preventative? I, I've had it as small as one drop, but I suggest 
about a half an ounce to an ounce at bedtime. Let it work with your immune system as your immune system marshals itself while you're sleeping through the night. And then, you know, there's all kinds of uh, authors out there that say, you know, take the midstream first time in the morning. Well, that's what sells books, okay? But I've done the research on this. And my patients seem to get very, very healthy when I administer something to them before they go to sleep at night, whether it's blackstrap uh-huh. molasses and baking soda or fecal therapy mm-hmm. or urine therapy or, you know, a, 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 a green drink at night before they go to bed. All right, so we've got the dose. Anywhere from, well. a drop, from a drop to a they, half ounce. So what about if someone's sick? So really, if, if urine is a high ozone source, then basically what you're suggesting is it's good for what ails you. Absolutely. I've been, I have not pissed in my toilet here in Chicago in 10 year, over 10 years. I capture it in a 20-ounce glass and take a sip of every pass because, I think we mentioned this on the last show, because of the chemtrails. The corporations control anything they want. They've, conver- uh, they've converted the skies into a garbage can. You know, dry- I had a list here, but dried red, dead blood cells, black mold, aluminum trioxide. The, the list is endless. Probably some Agent Orange up there, too. When they want to get rid of something, they just put it in a chemtrail. And they lace the skies so, hey, all over the world. You want, you want to try some questions here? Let's, let's, let's take a couple of questions. You bet, honey. Go right ahead. Unless you have a, a, uh, a testimonial you'd like to give. I, I, let me give one before we go to the phones. Um, okay. I have a new patient that went to the hospital and was poisoned with antibiotics. She got C. diff. Her daughter oh. gave her colloidal silver. Okay, she didn't know about urine therapy, or, but they did know about fecal therapy. They asked the hospital if they would please give her fecal therapy. They refused. They said it would take weeks. Yeah. They'd have to find donors and blah, blah, blah. Well, fortunately, one of their associates was an associate of mine, and she said, if you want fecal therapy, call Doc Mike. I was there that evening to, at this lady's side. She's 81 years old. And I used my ozone machine on her, and I started talking to the family about urine therapy and fecal therapy. Of course, they told me about the fecal therapy. She had a colostomy bag, so it was very simple. We squeezed some of the uh, fecal therapy out of the colostomy bag. I took it back to my clinic. This was a high-priority case. And the next morning, I delivered the 30-power fecal transplant homeopathics to the family, and they are administering it to her right now, and she's on the mend. Now, this is an important thing. So this lady had C. diff, a, a pretty short death sentence, and the hospital says, we're not going to do fecal therapy. It's too inconvenient. That's really right. shocking. When well, you not so shocking to me, but, if, you know, that says it was shocking to the family. Thing. Yeah, it was certainly <laughs> shocking to the family. Yeah. Oh, wait, I have to make an announcement here, a disclaimer. Um, anything oh. <laughs> that we say is for information is only not meant to diagnose, cure, or treat any affliction. And obviously, check with your healthcare uh, professional, whoever that might be, before uh, acting on any of this information. So, let me add something to that uh, disclaimer, Doc. 
Let me add something to it. If you choose not to check with your health care provider, you are ex- exercising your constitutional right to self-medication and the right of privacy. Go ahead. That's true. Okay. All right. We have a we have a, a caller here. Wonderful. Let's see. This one. Oops. I think I'm hitting the wrong buttons here. Let's try another button. Okay. Hi, you're on the air. Yeah, I was wondering if uh, there's been any success using either uh, urine or fecal therapy in treating dementia or uh, type any types of cancer. Absolutely. The, every one of the major diseases out there are caused by oxidative stress and lifestyles. So if a, a good diet like of fresh fruits and vegetables, juicing, I've done the research on juicing, and it's the ideal way to bulletproof any patient. And these uh, syndromes virtually disappear. There are some special stuff that you can use too, like um, uh, spirulina, for dementia, uh, vibration therapy for Parkinson's, every so Doc, uh, disease. Doc, Go ahead. I just want to, I'm curious too about the question is, is there any research supporting urine therapy in the case of cancer? That's, that's the question. A- absolutely. Uh, Martha Christie's book has many, many um, uh, testimonials on cancer being cured in YOPM, your own perfect medicine. Okay. Now, what about fecal therapy? Is there any evidence or, or um, observations of fecal therapy curing dementia or cancer? I'm not familiar with those. Um, I don't think that they have been, that to my knowledge, been used for those because the, the you know, fecal therapy. I don't know if you're aware of this. I've done a lot of research on it. Started in, in being documented and so on in 1958. Okay, I was about 13 years old that year. Okay, and very, pretty much pretty healthy, you know, as a young kid growing up. Okay, so I didn't hear about that, but um, these doctors have been pushing this since 1958, and you know, of course, the uh, pharmaceutical companies and the AMA and so on have designated uh, fecal therapy now as a drug, and there are penalties for using it. But the, the doctors are getting around this. They can they can send somebody home with instructions to how to do it, or perform it, you know, off campus. I don't know, but I think there are many more people doing it than we realize at this point in time. And I hope it's 300 million Americans, you know, by the end of January. That's awesome. We have another question here. Great. Okay, you're on the air. Your name and your question, please. Jessica, and I was just uh-huh. wondering about, I have a bulged disc in my neck, and uh-huh. the doctors are telling me I need to have surgery. Is there anything that I can do to avoid that surgery? You know, like, does ozone therapy work for that? or? Well, the, the peripheral of uh, ozone therapy will work for it, Jessica. Um, I, as a therapist, I have worked with many of these syndromes and have been very fortunate in my education with Dr. Turchininov out of Phoenix. And he has all of these therapies in four textbooks, and I'm published in three of them for my cure for fibromyalgia and for the cure for urinary stress incontinence. But he has therapies in there, and if there's any way you could get to Chicago, okay, 
Or if you want to take my phone number, we're going to start doing this on the air now, my websites and my phone number, give me a call. I may be able to treat you over the phone with this. These are not life uh, wait, wait, Doc. We don't do treatment. Problems. No treatment. No treatment. We don't treat, cure, diagnose any any conditions. <laughs> not so over let's the make phone. This, I mean, not tonight. Very no. Let's be very specific about the question. The question is, how can she avoid the therapy? The answer, the very direct answers don't show up. Now, the next question, of course, would be, uh, is, is, this, is, is, there, is there some kind of symptom here, like pain? Yeah, so it was from a car accident, and it created numbness in my right arm. So it's my C5, C6. And I've been going to uh, physical therapy, chiropractic care, you know, kind of all that alternative medicine, but it's still it's, it's better, help. but I still have like yeah. that weakness. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, it's not going to help. And they are these people, unfortunately, have not been educated in the curing arts. Okay, because if they mm-hmm. do, they can get their licenses pulled and uh, possibly go to jail, like I did for curing breast mm-hmm. cancer here in Chicago and fibromyalgia mm-hmm. and autism and bulging discs and everything. These are totally mm-hmm. curable with the proper therapies. So okay. I Well, let's I'm, just let's let's take the worst case scenario, Doc. Yeah. Let's just say it's not curable. There's no hope. That 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 that, that poor Jessica, this is it. There's also a good chance the surgery could leave you worse off. So ask the doctors, you know, what what their cure percent is? What percent of people are cured from this surgery? Um, well, doctors, that's, first of that's all, really don't. Doc, uh, well, I did. Jennifer. I did. Yeah. yeah well, I did ask you? that question. And they said, oh, you know, everybody feels better. But then in their pamphlets, they say, well, you know, yeah, like after two years, you can get, you know, causes more pain and then you get more right. degenerative disease and right. you know then you end up having more surgeries and I read that and I'm like well who the heck would ever do this <laughs> right so, okay, yeah well yeah. that's their so thing their thing it. is to that's their thing is to string you, you out no their, their thing is the yeah here okay. their thing is to string you out as long as they can and when they get so embarrassed about you not being cured They'll probably put you on morphine, and then you wind up mm-hmm. dead. They just buried mm-hmm. their mistakes. It's real simple. Now, if you have a pencil there, I'm going to start giving out yeah. my telephone number and my websites. Um, do we have about uh, 10 minutes left, Doc, or are we going two hours tonight? No, 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 no. We have 10 minutes left. 10 minutes left. Okay. Um, it's Jessica, right? Yeah, Sorry. yeah. So Jessica, the number is 708. 708- Four eight 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 seven. So the number is seven zero eight four eight 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 seven. And what is the um, what's the website there, Doc? The, first, the the one with a lot of information is wakeupwell.org. Wakeupwell.org. And the website that's dedicated uh, the web videos at justcureitnow.com. I have a dot .org. And There's a, a fun com. name. Just, okay. Just All right, I'll take some more now. questions. Great. Thank That's you, Jessica. We've got lots of questions here. Go right in. Roll them. Hi, your name and your question, please. 1846. Okay, press okay. another button. Must have lost them. Well, this is Panama. The button's pressed slowly. 
All right, let's see here. Hi, is this Miss Brown? Yes, it is. How are you doing? I'm well, Dr. Daniels. How are you? Fine. What's your question tonight? My question is how would how what would one recommend for uh, u- uh, uterine prolapse? There's a few uterine cases prolapse. that have, yeah. There's a few cases that I've had that are very very successful. Um, first of all, uh, did you have a hysterectomy, and is it is it for you or for someone else? And it's. Oh, we've we've uh, we muted her, so I have to mute people so we don't have a whole lot of whatever. But the person would not have had a hysterectomy because it's still prolapsing. No. That means the uterus well, is falling out of the vagina. Oh, I'm sorry. The uter. Oh, this. Uh, I'm sorry. It was uterine prolapse versus a um, bladder prolapse. Okay. Right. Uh, not a bladder. There, there are therapies to strengthen that. And uh, can I talk about the therapy over the phone? Well, you can refer her to the website with the therapy. You know, the, well, part of it's there, but there, you know, that's those are uh, geared towards um, the pubic tendon, strengthening that, and then there's uh, there are other therapies, as you know, that I I do hundreds of therapies that I could not put on the website uh, because, first of all, they're not that common, and they're and they're and they're but they're very simple too, so. The best thing for her to do would be to call me and see if we can arrange some type of uh, um, therapy for her, either over the phone or in person, or have her therapist, have a loved one or a, a therapist that's heads up, because I know therapists all over the nation. We could probably get her to a therapist that would um, be able to treat this condition. It's it's not that difficult. Okay, good. Great. Okay. Got another okay. caller? Yep, I did. Your name and your question, please. Hello, 6977. Your name and your question, please. Hi, yes. Uh, my name is Alyssa. Uh-huh. And Alyssa. I was. Hi, how are you? And how I'm are you, Dr. Right. Daniel? I've been trying to reach it for the last couple of days. I, I hope nothing else went wrong. Uh, no, everything is great. We're having a, a terrible storm up here in Massachusetts yeah, right know. now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I heard. Yeah, so okay, I'm in for a couple you? of days. Okay, how can we help you? Okay, my question is: is uh, what would be beneficial if I have an immune, uh, immune, immuno uh, disease okay. or dysfunction? Auto, auto, auto 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 autoimmune disease. Autoimmune. Yes. Autoimmune. Here, we're going to give you your answer. Okay. All right. Autoimmune. autoimmune. Okay. Autoimmune is one of the easiest things to cure because in all of the cases, almost, uh, you know, virtually every case that I've had of an autoimmune, and these are incurables, okay? The doctors love to give you an autoimmune disease because nobody's ever cured one that they know about. That's right. And you're you're then on their hook for the rest of your life, okay? This is oxidative stress. Urine therapy generates not only oxygen, but exotic oxygen, which is O3, ozone. And we go after the uh, autoimmune disease with, like the Marines on FedEx. It happens very, so very quickly. So what would be the urine dose for autoimmune disorder? The urine what? I'm sorry? Dose. How the much urine. urine? How much urine? Well, it depends. Mm. 
if if they're sort of on the fringe of the autoimmune disease, um, a few ounces a day would be plenty. Um, if it's full blown, then I would suggest at least for one day they go on a urine fast, which would be nothing. No water, no fruits, no vegetables, no meats, no nothing. Just your urine. The urine that you pass, you consume for 24 hours. And then see what happens. Um, I had it happen to me in Ecuador when I was there in uh, November. I got Montezuma's Revenge, which is uh, virulent diarrhea. And I stopped all my foods, water, and everything. Just consumed my urine for 24 hours. 24 hours later, I had a solid bowel. So this this is autoimmune. Right. So the autoimmune people, they would do urine for one day, and then what? A pint, a pint a day, or a cup a day, or? Then back to the one, uh, you know, half an ounce to an ounce at bedtime. Um, from then on. Oh, okay. Out this is study Okay. Great. All right. Okay. The next question. We have another question here. Thank you, Alyssa. Good to hear from you. I'll be calling you this evening. All right. I gotta get this. Uh, oh, here we are. Hello. Good Hi, evening, Doc your Mike name speaking. and your question, please. My name Hello. is Buck. Hello? He's, Hi, he's Buck. there. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, about that autoimmune thing, um, what if you're taking supplements? They will be part of the recovery, but I suggest if you've been on supplements for a long time, that take a supplement holiday for a little while or um, – Get get into more fruits and fresh vegetables, so you're not just making expensive urine with you know the the regular foods that you eat that have these supplements in there, like potassium or zinc or something like that. Try to get your live enzymes into your body, and the supplement. There are some supplements that we have to take. Um, there's not very many of them, but there's a few that you must take in a supplement manner because the body does not produce them. But otherwise, if you can, if it's at all possible, like your vitamin B is in all your leafy greens, okay? Your D3 is direct sunshine, sun gazing, which is very simple to do. But what if you're Uh, African-American? If you're African-American, I think you've got the advantage. You've been around longer than us. Yeah, but the sun is, you know, you need more hours in the sun. Uh, African Americans, because of their dark skin, the sun's rays don't penetrate as much. Right. No, no, I'm I'm talking about I'm talking about sun gazing. You look above, below, left, and right, and then back up 50 blinks at the sun or at the uh, sunrise or sunset, and get that D3 into your eyes, and then it goes right down to your toenails. It's photosynthesis. This is not. I'm not talking about sun tanning. Yeah, I'm not talking about sunbathing. I'm talking about, oh, maybe you mis- misheard me. I'm talking about sun gazing, G-A-Z-I-N-G, gazing, not bathing. Okay. Okay. It's not about all getting right, a better guys. tan if yeah. you're black. Okay. I think it's okay. it for all of our online, quest- our online questions, I mean, on telephone questions. Okay, I want to thank more all questions. callers for Always. calling in. Yeah, you thank some, you very much you for some calling you have some texts or, uh, e- or what do you call yep, them? Yeah, we got those over here. We're 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 going over here. Okay. Okay. 
Okay, so someone asked, wouldn't medical school textbooks have the standard of care written down? No. <laughs> the medical school textbooks have um, a version of the standard of care, but there are many versions of the standard of care. And so the doctor simply you, has to adhere to Right. One when of did the you versions. find out about it, Doc? You, you surely didn't find out about it in pre-med or, or even in medical school. I think it was after you got your cap and gown and your MBA and your uh, certification that you found out that you had a collar around your neck. Well, and then that the collar was not very specific. That was really shocking that this collar right. was uh, took What's various cool? forms and it came and and uh, and went. Right. Okay. Here's a question. And I'll tell you what, take, give me a second here, Doc. I want to say something. i got a lot of snoops out here. I've got pharmacists that are patients of mine, insurance people, doctors, okay? I'm going to get a copy of this thing or I'm going to die trying. I'm going to get, the, I'm going to get some kind of written thing on standard of care, and your leads will probably help me too. Thank you. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, it's a project. We've only got uh, Oh, are these deaths from medicine visible? Why is it so hard to get people to see? Because these deaths are classified as heart attacks, they're classified as, as suicides, they're classified as accidents. And so these murders by the medical profession are classified as many other different things. They're classified as cancer deaths, for example. And so they're, they're concealed as something else. So, you know, we are really out of time, but it's been a great episode. Um, I want to thank Doc Mike. I want to encourage people to, you know, visit VitalityCapsules.com. Also to, um, you know, give uh, give Doc Mike a call, and that's at what seven zero eight four eight 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 seven. That's right, seven zero eight four eight 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 seven. And um, my website again, wakeupwell dot. O-R-G, wakeupwell.org. All right, excellent. Okay, well, thanks, Doc Mike, and thank you, everybody. We'll see you back next God, week. Yeah, God bless you, Doc, for having me on. Okay.